Welcome to the Cade Wilcox podcast. I'm Cade Wilcox, your host, and I love small business. I love the leaders who lead small businesses. I love the the journey of starting a new company and figuring out how to manage uh, people and culture and vision and operations and finances and sales and marketing. And so on our podcast, we feature local small business owners and we learn from them what's going well, what's not going well, things they've learned throughout their journey. So thanks for joining the podcast and enjoy learning from others who are in the trenches and doing the work. I guess I grew up Brazilian. I grew up knowing that you had to save in the good times because it's gonna get lean again soon. And then in the lean years, being as resourceful as you can on everything and I guess recycling is one of my things that I really like to focus on and just to make sure that we're not wasteful in anything, in our time, in our funds, in anything at all. Just making sure that we're making the most of everything. Thanks for joining the podcast. I've I've really been fascinated by following you online. Uh, You know, we we, we're in the process of building you a website, but I've Mm -hmm. I've really enjoyed watching your content on LinkedIn and just just kind of following from a distance. And so I'm fascinated to hear your story and fascinated uh, and excited for our audience to kind of hear about how your approach to business and how you manage your farm and yeah, just all the things you experience sure. as, as a business owner. So for those who don't know you, maybe maybe tell them a little bit about you and, and the work you do, and then I'll dive into some questions about your business and kind of what your approach to certain things is. Sure. My name's Lacey Cotter Vardaman. I'm a fifth generation rancher. Um, The ranching comes from my dad's side, more along the maternal. And then um, I married a cotton farmer 25 years ago. And so we also have about 6,500 acres of cotton in Lubbock, Hockley and Lynn counties. Sorry, I have dogs. Uh, And of course they're gonna come in the house while doing this. But um, so I love agriculture. my whole life has been involved with agriculture, either in the beef industry and now beef and cattle industry, both. And I love it. Um, I can't imagine doing anything different from what I do. It's really cool. So um, what have you learned about like resilience? Because whether you're a cotton farmer or whether you're, you know, you have a ranch and you're raising cattle, um, you're going to have to be a really tough sucker, <laughs> you know, to endure, you know, uh, years of plenty and, and years of not. And so, like, what have you learned about resiliency and how has your experience in agriculture really kind of shaped your leadership and, and just kind of who you are and how you approach things? Well, since my whole life has been involved in agriculture growing up, um, there was a brief time my dad was in the oil industry as well. And, of course, Gosh. you know, you know, you know. <laughs> I was just thinking the other day, my family's never chosen any stable, <laughs> stable businesses to do. And so, you know, growing up, like you said, in agriculture and in the oil industry, both, it's always, you know, ups and downs. And sadly, there is never any time where it's like, gee, this is fabulous and it's going to stay this way for several years. So, um just, I guess I grew up resilient. I grew up knowing that you had to save in the good times because it's going to get lean again soon. And then in the lean years, you know, just being as resourceful as you can on everything. And 
I guess recycling is kind of one of my um, things that I really like uh, to focus on and just to make sure that we're not wasteful in anything, in our time, in our, um, you know, our funds, in, in anything at all. Just making sure that we're making the most of everything that there is to make the most of. And um, I guess ag- that's what agriculture's taught me. And then as I started the beef bin- business, and sorry, I, my daughter has a new puppy and it's wanting to argue at my feet. So sorry. <laughs> no problem. Um, no, it adds, adds the, it adds value to the podcast. This is great. <laughs> Everybody loves dogs. So even if no one yes. wants to listen to me and you, at least they get to hear a dog. <laughs> well, they're two healers. And so they growl a lot and then they sneeze at each other because, you know, that's what healers do. So, um, and the more I try and keep them apart, the more they want to get together. Well, that, so, that's funny. but, um, anyway, so, that I, it's just always been the way it was. My dad was really big into water conservation, especially with our main ranch coming from uh, Northern, Northeastern New Mexico, where water is definitely, you know, an issue that you don't waste. And then coming into cotton farming almost 30 years ago, um, just knowing that water, it is life. And without it, it's really hard to have anything at all. So hmm. water conservation has been a huge thing for me, um, just conservation in, in general. My family has always been very proactive and how we've managed land to make sure that, you know, we do the best that we can to improve it and to constantly leave it better for the next hmm. generation. It's really profound. I mean, and so many really uh, applications to business in general. What a... What's your approach to kind of, of planning? You're in multiple industries that have a lot of variables outside of your control. And so you shared some really good things about what you've learned from being resilient and just being in agriculture in general. But how do you approach planning, you know, within the different elements of your work when so much of it is outside of your control? So like, what's your approach to that? How do, how do you do that? Well, we always have a plan and it's always, it's just kind of a framework. It's like when you're doing websites and that's one thing I've learned from y'all as you've put together my website is there's a framework. And so you have this idea of what you want it to be. But for us, you know, no rain, uh, six inches of rain in two years at our place there on the Texas, New Mexico border. We've just had to be able to move cattle. Um, We harvested 4,000 acres of CRP Mm. because it became available during a drought thing. So just constantly knowing, uh, having contingencies and then knowing what programs are available, especially on the farming and the ranching, so that we have other avenues that we can put into place and really take advantage of those in any way possible. Um, we're going to be doing another 3,500 acres of CRP starting in June when the CRP opens back up again, just to stay off of our, we have 9,000 acres um, out there, just so we're off our land and utilizing other land um, that hasn't been used. And plus, it's good for it to be used. It benefits the soil and the plants right. and everything right. to be yeah. able to graze that. So. But I mean, that's just kind of the way we look at everything. And farming too, you know, we have our game plan laid out um, and then we just roll with the wit, you know, with the weather, um, knowing 
we can only do what we can do. Right, right. Yeah. That's what's so fascinating. I really appreciate what you say about a framework and then contingencies. It's like, hey, we have we have the way we do things. We, we have principles or, or practices that we really believe in. But then we have contingencies plans based on what God gives us, rain or no rain, wind or no wind, epic winter storms or no epic storms. Yeah. And so when you think of agriculture, this probably maybe is less applicable to other business owners, but now I'm just curious, what are some of the elements of your framework that regardless of what the variables are, what, what are elements of your framework that you utilize to kind of just approach your work in general? Well, on the cattle side, our first and foremost thing day in, day out is the health and well-being of our cattle. Um, that's something that my cows eat before we eat. Um, they're the first thing that we deal with in the morning. They're the last thing we deal with in the evening. Um, they're just always first and foremost for us. And then everything else fits in around it. Um, you know, our hay, we make sure that we're growing hay that will feed things and give them the most bang for their buck long term. And so in good years, we sell hay. And in years like this, we stockpile it because if I don't have it, right. then I, you know, I have to sell cattle. And you never sell cattle in a market like this because they're cheap. And then plus, I have genetics for 150 years that I'm not willing to let go of. I mean, I've worked. I know my girls. Um, they're very dear to me. And so, you know, we we raise them knowing that they're going to be a long-term investment for us. And so that's the cattle side. On the farming side, we can only do so much. Is our irrigated, we always know that we're going to, you know, what we're going to plant. And then if the weather works, then, you know, it's great. Like dry land this year and last year, it's just a wash. We can only do what we can do. If it doesn't rain, it doesn't rain, and there's not anything at all we can do. Um, we just try and keep the soils covered as much as possible. We don't till. We haven't tilled in about six years, and we just try and keep it covered to where it's not going to erode, if at all possible. It's a fascinating analogy, I think, for other business owners that are not in agriculture is how important the, the soil is, the foundation. And so, I mean, even just listening to you talk about your approach to the cattle they eat before you eat, right? Like that, that is the essence, the mm -hmm. bedrock, the foundation of your success with your cattle. You talk about 150 years of genetics, like that is the foundation of your cattle operation. And then on the, on the agri or the farming side, you know, the, 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 the importance of the soil and protecting it. Um, do you think like those are the things that really are the differentiator for you in, in your industry? I think so. I mean, ag is, we're such a small segment of the population. In the U.S., there's less than 2% of the population that is actively involved in agriculture, wow. be it farming and ranching. And so, you know, in this area, the Lubbock area, there's quite a few farmers still in this area. But um, one of the things I do is for Cotton Incorporated is I go out and I speak on behalf of cotton and sustainability to brands and retailers throughout the, the world in the United States. And um, before the COVID hit, I was in Switzerland speaking at the WTO um, on behalf of American cotton. Wow. And so, you know, it's just something for, to show sustainability is one of those topics that everybody wants to throw around, everything sustainable. 
but actually putting a definition on it and then how you are going to be sustainable. Um, like speaking to brands and retailers, they have no idea like what it's like to farm. And so one thing that we're constantly doing is asking them to come to our farm and to our ranch and so that they can actually see it. Because most of the population is so far removed from agriculture, you know, they're always surprised that I have all my teeth, I don't wear bib overalls and I speak properly, you know. <laughs> I, they really don't understand, you know, that we're, we're not a bunch of country fluids, that, you know, we actually, have degrees and stuff. And so that's one thing that usually surprises them. And then also how much money we have tied up in, in our farming. I mean, in cotton, before we ever even get very far, we're usually a half million to three quarters of a million in. Hmm. And I mean, and we could lose it overnight, literally. And so um, we don't gamble because we gamble for a living. And, you know, it's kind of the same way on the beef side is, you know, the epic winter storms. Luckily, um, we were prepared for it. We didn't lose any cattle, but, I mean, our cattle are always first and foremost in our minds. You know, that's not something that we ever put them last, you mm -hmm. know. Um, and so we didn't have trouble with that. But that's just kind of the difference in ag is... You know, everybody knows other people who have lots of, you know, have businesses. And I enjoy visiting with them. I learn a lot from them. But, you know, ag is just so much different in but a way. Need, yeah. I mean, not that everybody has a lot of capital tied up in their businesses typically. Sure. So. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, even people who do have capital tied up, oftentimes it's not at the scale of particular producer of your size. And so yeah. I think you would have experience in that more than more than most. When you think about small business owners and entrepreneurs, you oftentimes think of risk, and you just talked a little bit about about risk on the capital side. Mm -hmm. What is your approach to risk? Like you've been doing this a long time. There are a lot of things outside of your control. So, what's your approach to risk, and how do you how do you think about risk? Um, it's never far from my mind because it. I mean, it's our daily right daily thing. I guess we be kind of. I've become a little numb to it after a while because, I mean, you know, there's always storms that we can't do anything about. Um, there's years where it won't rain for five years. You can't do anything about it. So risk is, I mean, we insurance is always a fabulous thing to have. Just always having those contingency plans of, um, especially on the cattle side, where am I going to go if it's not raining here? What am I going to do with them? Um, I always have on my computer the cows that I can't live without. And so, you know, I have those that could go. And like this year, for the first time in 12 years, I sold females. Um, I sold everything but 35 cows out of our 2020 female crop. And it hurt. Yeah. <laughs> but I just could not. I couldn't keep them because um, we don't breed anything until they're two. And so, you know, it takes longer for me to get that value back out of mm -hmm. them from a typical producer standpoint. Um, so I sold those and then I'm, I'm going to sell a few of the 19s. Um, we calf twice a year. We have a fall and a spring herd and our uh, spring or Akaushi, which is one of the Wagyu breeds and um, then our fall are straight Angus. And mm -hmm. so I will be selling some of those for the first time 
ever. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's kind of our contingency on that is I just had to bring my numbers down a bit to where I don't ruin my land after so many years of trying to make sure that it's completely taken care of and stuff. Yeah. And then the farming side is just, there's not a lot you can do with the way uh, insurance is set up on the farming side. You have to follow certain rules, whether they make any sense or not, right. um, which is a sad thing. You're okay. You're, you're perfectly fine. This is a very, this is not the Joe Rogan podcast. This is very informal. <laughs> so we're good. Well, thanks. <laughs> How do you handle discouragement? I mean, I can I can hear in your voice, and most people won't watch this video, but I can see even just the authenticity of the care that you have for the land and, and for the animals that you raise. So you've been at this 25 years, like you said. Uh, how do you handle discouragement? I guess I'm just a naturally happy person. It doesn't get to me as bad as it does some people and you can't focus on the bad i i don't care what you do in life if you're going to focus on the bad then you're just going to be a sad unhappy person yeah and so i guess i come from a positive family and um, it's always look on the good and tomorrow's going to be better than today and i don't know what else to do other than yeah. just just to think it's going to get better and it has to our, our family saying is it's going to rain sometime it's going to yeah. rain <laughs> I, yeah I love your optimism. I, I, I think, uh, I think optimism is a really powerful thing because, you know, you have optimism or pessimism and, and, uh, like what, what is pessimism actually going to do for you? It's, it's actually going to probably create, you know, challenges for you that wouldn't exist because you're, you were kind of like speaking or energizing them into, yeah. in, into your reality. Whereas optimism, even if it doesn't ha happen, at least you tried, at least you had the energy, at least yeah. you had the vision. So I, I too am an optimist. It drives my wife crazy. She, she refers herself as a realist. I refer <laughs> to her as a pessimist. And so we have this ongoing uh, debate. You, uh, so have you, uh, have you done this with your dad for a long time? My dad passed away 10 years ago, but oh, wow. um, my dad and I, um, I have three brothers, the only girl of, of three boys, grew up out in the middle of nowhere. And what I'm very grateful to my dad for is he never treated me different from my brothers. If I wanted to learn something, he taught me just exactly like he would my brothers. I have a very competitive family. And so I guess I just grew up competing and always trying to prove that I was as good or better than my brothers at everything. And so um, I, I think that's good for business. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, we try not to be tacky about it, but even just in anything I do, my goal is just to do better than I did the last time. And I'm always telling my kids, just improve. I mean, you can always improve, just improve. And then I tell them, be better than me, be better than your dad, beat us both, you know, just improve don't ever just think that where you're at is is good yeah and i mean i'm not trying to be tacky about anything but really i don't i don't know how else to improve other than just to look at everything you do and kind of do a post-mortem on it and say what could i have done better where could i have improved and um, in the different referral groups i'm in it's just i always ask you know if I'm doing something that you think I can do better, please just let me know. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I really want to be able to put my best foot forward and to present myself and my business 
in the best possible light. And really cool. just always be willing to take, you know, constructive criticism yeah. and stuff and just know that you can, you can always do better. So are you, like you said, you're one of four, so you have three brothers and, yes. and you, and are you all in the, in the ranch business together or is it just your ranching business? It's just me. Um, I have a brother who's a doctor, one that's a medical researcher in Cambridge, and then one of my brothers is deceased. And wow. so, um, but yeah, I did it with my dad and then uh, he had pancreatic cancer. So we knew, you know, you can't do much about that, but he set a really good example of just always being optimistic about it. And mm. he was going to be the one person who beat it and yeah. stuff. And, you know, he just never was sad. Nobody, very few people knew he ever had cancer because he didn't want people to feel sorry for him. And it was just, I guess we're kind of a private family too, but, you know, we just went on. And um, at that time, my kids were pretty young. Our, we've got, our son's 24. And we have a 21-year-old daughter fixing to be 22 the end of this month and an 18-year-old. And so then our kids were privately tutored and um, that way I could always be in both businesses. Yeah. And so my son stayed at the ranch and fed cattle for me and moved cattle at, I think he was... 12. Yeah. <laughs> Probably CPS might get on to me. <laughs> but I mean, well, I was, no. but it's one of those things that you just kind of do, do what you've got to do. Our kids were always very grown up. They still are. I think they came out thinking that they were about 40. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> th th my kids are very competitive too. And like they all finished school at like 16. And so our 21 year olds finishing her master's in accounting and she's 21. So, you know, that whole thing of always doing better, just, just do just always improve. But so, you know, our son did that while I did can cancer with my dad and um, we were always just extremely close. My dad and I were just very much together all the yeah. time. And, um, my husband is 27 years older than I am, and we've been married 25 years, and he and my dad were really close, and so the three of us were together um, a lot. That's awesome. And so it was good for our kids to grow up, you know, with really strong male influences on the ranching and the farming, and again, there's only so much of that, of the ag industry you can learn from a book. So much of it comes from doing it and being around people who have um, a history in it and stuff and you can learn from them and watch them and there's so much of farming and ranching that's intuitive that yeah. you just have to learn from doing it so yeah it's so good man this is so applicable to any business you know whether it's farming or it doesn't matter like it's so everything you're saying is so applicable i really appreciate it what have you learned about balance like you're raising tons of cattle you're selling direct to consumer you're farming. You're okay. It's not bothering me. People can get over it. <laughs> um, I don't, wouldn't say that I'm a very balanced person. Um, yeah. I love to work more than about anything. Yeah. Um, I, people ask me if I have a hobby and it's like, well, working, yeah. I, I love what I do on both, on all aspects. And so for me, you know, I'm, farming some days I'm ranching and then I'm selling beef all the time or trying yeah. to and stuff. And, um, so balance is probably not a good thing. Well, I think where I was going is like you, you, 
you've built, you, you're managing all these things that are very hard to manage because most of them are out of your control. You, you clearly did a good job raising your children, right? Like, you know, you just got a lot of moving parts. And so what, clearly it helps when you love your work because when you love something, it's, it's not work or it's not a burden. It's something you, so, so that makes sense. But is there anything else that you've learned as you've, have you balanced all these spinning plates and tried to be competitive and do it at a high level and things like that? As I've gotten older and as my kids have aged, I've been able to go more into industry um, events, more, especially on the cotton farming side. There are a lot of women in the beef industry that take more of an active role, but um, I'm trying to think about eight years ago, I was asked to serve on Cotton Incorporated's board. And um, I think there's a few women now, but when I first got on, I was the only uh, female in it. Yeah. And you know, that doesn't intimidate me because I grew yeah. up in a male-dominated industry and I have all brothers. And so most of the time, my brothers all call me Larry for the most part. <laughs> so, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I've really been fortunate and have, um, gotten lots of opportunities to go and to speak, especially around the world and in the U.S. all yeah. over, on, and really put forth agriculture's, um, uh, just tell our story so yeah. few people know it, and then few people know a farmer, and they really don't think highly of us in, the yeah. ag, in any of our ag industries, and so the opportunity to go and really tell our story to show people who we are, especially I hear about um, corporate farming. We're corporate farmers. We're a family owned corporate farm. And so that's been fun to, you know, dispel that whole idea as well. There's lots of myths that I've been able, you know, just to go and visit. And typically when I go to those conferences, I speak and then I'm there for two to three days and just make myself available all day long to visit with whomever. And since I'm in both industries, I'm more than happy to answer questions yeah. about both and to show we really do care about our land more than anybody else yeah. does. And the fact that we always want to hand it down to the next generation, it's not just there as an investment for us. Yeah. It is indeed our livelihood. You should talk Patagonia, who uh, seems more intent on uh, saving the world than you know making great clothes. You should talk them into coming to your farm and and uh, getting getting. Good to luck. I had the opportunity to speak with them, and they don't care. Yeah, They're, they really what they know is better than what I do for a living. Yeah, for multi generations on both sides, and so they are kind of frustrating. It is interesting. Yeah. Culturally, maybe my last question for you is what you've learned about kind of sales and customer service, doing your direct to consumer beef stuff. You know, you're growing a great product. You're providing great service, which a lot of business owners are that, you know, they're good at HVAC or they're good at insurance or they're good at whatever. But what have you learned? Because you can have the best product or the best service in the world. And if you can't sell it and if you can't provide it, you know, once you've got them signed up, then it doesn't matter. You don't have a business. So what have you learned about, you know, that aspect of, of selling your products and providing a great experience? Like, what are some of the things that come to your mind? Social media and website. I've always taken websites and social media for granted. Because, I mean, in just my ranching day-to-day, -day, Whole Foods is my main market. And I haven't had to market cattle in 18 years because they pay me a premium. And I've done business with them so long, I just call and they send a truck. 
on our cotton side, we're co we're cooperative farmers. Right. PCCA markets our cotton, and they have since the dawn of time. So again, no social media. So when I started the beef business and selling to the public, I got a website. I wanted it fast. Don't do that. <laughs> it's, one, it's one of those things. I didn't know what I didn't know until mm. I got started. And so I, you know, that learning curve was really fast. And even, you know, I thought I read some stuff, but, and it could just be me at being slow on the uptake on all of that. But it's one of those things that I paid for that first website and got it up and it's like, ooh, I hate it. And it wasn't at all what I wanted. And um, I thought I could change it, but you couldn't. And so, you know, I was talking to people, trying to find out who to go with, what to do. And that's how I found out about y'all. And everybody was very pleased, you know, great uh, customer service is huge. <laughs> you know, having somebody who's willing to learn about me and about my business and my interests and really what I want to portray to, um, to consumers. Um, there's a lot of direct to, um, consumer beef companies anymore. And so really just trying to distinguish my company and our philosophy above others and then just customer service. I mean, selling online, um, I always tell people uh, grass-fed beef is different than what you get at the grocery store. And some people's palates love it. And then some people had a guy in Kansas that ordered, I shipped to him. And he texted me and he's like, this just isn't for me. And it's like, well, I'm sorry. I thank you for letting me know. And can I do anything? And he's like, no, I just wanted you to know. And it's like, well, thanks. Yeah. And, sorry. He I'll said, I, I won't leave a bad review. And it's like, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, but, you yeah. know, just trying to find out, you know, I always try and tell people up front, it's not, it's not for everybody typically. And, you know, I'll do what I can to provide, you know, I always include a personal note when I ship packages and then something free, just something for people to try a little different. Uh, just always, you know, trying to expand and see what we need to do to fill a niche. Um, I have lots of people that tell me, I love your beef, but I don't have time to cook. So we started doing um, briskets that are oh, wow. cooked and served in two pound packages. You can either do sliced or you can do it um, chopped, you know, to where you just stick the vacuum sealed bag in hot water and it's ready to go. We do that with taco meat, with a bolognese sauce, um, taco uh, fajitas and hamburgers. We do all yeah. sorts of stuff. And then, you know, I started a jerky line because we live in tractors for most of the year and we live on jerky. And so, you know, doing a minimally processed jerky that has lots of flavor, that's soft. And um, we have 16 flavors currently. And then just getting, you know, that out to people that we have this. I used um, some meats that weren't selling good at the time and just learning how to process those, the marinating time and all of that. It's kind of, just kind of, I used to own a catering company. So at least the food service, I've got that. Yeah. So. Um, you know, just always trying to see what we can do different. I've been, you know, explaining to people, if you're going to have an appreciation deal, call me. I've got, you know, very fresh hamburgers that are seasoned, ready to go. And I've got the cookers. I'll come and put them, you know, I'll, I'll cook it. I can do sausage. You know, we've got everything. And 
you know, expanding the gift basket line. Um, Father's Day coming up, we're going to start really promoting um, a grilling package for fathers. And of course, we deliver, we ship. You're just trying to cover all the bases that we possibly can um, to make buying from us your first stop. Yeah, no, it's it's really cool. I've really enjoyed watching it. Do you do you sleep at night or do you work 24 hours a day? I mean, like that's a lot of it's a lot of plate spinning. Well, I t- I've never been much of a sleeper, so about four hours, five wow. if I'm really pooped. And stuff, so. I'm like a, on the nine hour spectrum and I've <laughs> always despised it. Cause I like you, I love working. I, it, if I had a preference that would, yeah, I love it. And so, but I have to have nine, nine hours of sleep or I'm just not healthy. And so yeah. I've always admired folks like you who could get by with, you know, four or five hours and, and be perfectly, perfectly healthy. So that's cool. Well, my brother, when he was in med school, we used to have contests cause I was catering <laughs> at the time of who could stay cognitively aware the best? <laughs> so, since he was typically working all night, and again, my competitive family, it's like, I can do this and I can yeah. do better. So, you know, we we did that while he was in med school. It kind of helped him. I mean, med school's hard. Yeah. <laughs> and especially just everything that's entailed in it. So it was kind of fun. We turned, you know, the fact that both of us were working into we can have fun with this. We can compete yeah. against one another and and do well for both of yeah. us. That's really cool. I bet y'all have had some really fun competitions over the years based on how it sounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, tell people uh, tell people what your website is and where they can find more more about you. I I feel like a lot of people are interested in in good food and 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 things like you're doing. So, how can people most effectively uh, follow you and and uh, connect with you? Cotter Key Farms is our website, um, CotterKeyFarms.com. I think it's going to be up in a couple of days. Awesome. Uh, yay. Yeah. Um, you can text me or call me anytime, 806-252-2643. Like I said, I'm not much of a sleeper. I tend to work till 2 or 3 in the morning. Um, so that's kind of when I do office work, things that during daylight hours, it's just like, yeah. Yeah, I can't stop and do that yet. So. Yeah, and so there's always the late night. We call it the dark time. That's when I work. (laughs) Um, But uh, those are great ways to contact me. And um, I've got an app that's going to be available probably about June. So people can download the app and order. Um, And like I said, we deliver, we ship. You can come shop my 13 commercial freezers to kind of keep, Price is low. I just turned my third bay of my garage uh, here on Woodrow Road into freezer heaven and into where we, I have lots of people just come shop my freezers if you want to come look and handle the meat. That's really cool. Well, thank you so much uh, for giving time during the daytime when the sun's out, you know, to our podcast. I really appreciate you and uh, learned a lot. So thanks for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And I appreciate what you guys are doing for me. So thank you. Thank you. I guess I grew up resilient. I grew up knowing that you had to save in the good times because it's going to get lean again soon. 
And then in the lean years, being as resourceful as you can on everything. And I guess recycling is one of my things that I really like to focus on and just to make sure that we're not wasteful in anything, in our time, in our funds, in anything at all. Just making sure that we're making the most of everything. Sustainability is one of those topics that everybody wants to throw around, everything sustainable, but actually putting a definition on it and then how you are going to be sustainable. Like speaking to brands and retailers, they have no idea what it's like to farm. And so one thing that we're constantly doing is asking them to come to our farm and to our ranch and so that they can actually see it. Because most of the population is so far removed from agriculture you know, they're always surprised that I have all my teeth, I don't wear bib overalls, and I speak properly, you know. I, they really don't understand, you know, that we actually have degrees and stuff. And so that's one thing that usually surprises them. And then also how much money we have tied up in our farming. I mean, in cotton, before we ever even get very far, we're usually a half million to three quarters of a million in.